If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Thank you again for being willing to uh, come together and hear another sermon from a pastor in training. Uh, I love these opportunities to come alongside my family, my body of Christ, um, and encourage us to walk faithfully with Jesus. The only way I, I, the best way I know how to do that is to try to explain to you what the Bible says. So that's what I'm about this morning. The last time I spoke, I started a series in Paul's letter to the Colossians. We just looked at verses one through eight um, about, about the way Paul, what, what Paul was thankful for about the Colossian church. God was real to them. Their faith in Christ was genuine and you could tell because they were loving the saints. They were loving all the saints. In today's passage, in verses nine through 14, Paul finishes his prayer with a request to God that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will. I think that the implications of this passage are really, really important for us to grasp. And so I, I, I hope that we will pay attention to what Paul thinks is important that the Colossians need. As he begins to address the issues that they're facing um, at home. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right in by reading our passage and then I'm going to ask three questions of verse 9 to get us, to get us started into, into the passage. So I'm going to read from verse 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And so, verse nine, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. What, question number one, what drove Paul and Timothy to pray for the Colossians? Paul and Timothy had received word from Epaphras about their love in the spirit. You can see that in verse eight. And in verse four, you see that he had heard somehow about their faith in Christ Jesus too. So apparently, Paul and Timothy, as they traveled together, actually, but Paul is in, is in prison, as, as he hears from Epaphras about the church in Colossae, he receives a fairly positive report that they're expressing deep faith in Christ, and it's evident in their, in their works, in their, in their love for one another. But as we continue to read in Colossians, we find that Paul has some pretty pointed things to say about some false teaching that the Colossians might run into or that has already started to be among them. And so I think it's likely that part of Epaphras' report was also to share with Paul some concerns that, that the Colossians are, going to be, are facing some things and they, and they, need, they need a word from you, Paul. What, what advice would you give? So, so that's what drove them to pray. Is they, Paul and Timothy had received a report from Epaphras. Well, how did they pray? Question number two. When Epaphras told Paul and Timothy about what the gospel was doing in Colossae, 
Paul and Timothy didn't just stop and have a short little prayer meeting and then go along on their busy missionary lives. Instead, they committed to regular and frequent prayer for them. Ever since they heard that what was going on in Colossae, they've not stopped praying for them. They persisted in prayer for the Colossians. Question number three, for what did they pray? What were they praying for the Colossians? You can learn a lot about a person, about what a person thinks about an issue by the way that they pray for it. All right, let's say someone came to you and and shared with you that they were sick. Perhaps you might pray, Lord, will you heal them from their their illness? Uh, Perhaps other of us might pray, um, Lord, would you, would you take this illness and, and help them to bear up under it and form Christ-like character in them through it? Or maybe others might pray, Lord, will you keep that person away from me so that I don't get sick? Right? Well, we can see, a lot, uh, we can see how Paul thinks about this, this issue in Colossae, but what he prays for, what, he thinks, what he's concerned of, if you knew that your parents' church or your children's church was... Um, facing some errant teaching. There, there was false teachers trying to share a version of the gospel that just doesn't line up. How would you think to pray for, for your, your child's church or for your, your parents' church if you knew that that was the situation? Maybe you'd pray, Lord, will you, will you remove the false teaching? Like, will you take it from them? Or would you expose it for what it is, for the lies that they are? Um, or perhaps would you, would you call someone up in the church to, to confront it and deal with it that way? Well, we might expect that would be the way Paul prays. But what does Paul pray for in light of this, in light of this false teaching that they're going to be facing? God, would you fill them with the knowledge of your will? Maybe we didn't expect that or see that coming. Would you fill them with the knowledge about your will? This is Paul's main request in this prayer. Everything else that follows through verse 14 is subordinate to it, explains it, further describes what's going on with this main request. Well, being filled with something means that you become characterized by it, right? In the the New Testament, people are filled with unrighteousness, or they're characterized by unrighteousness. They're filled with joy, they're filled with peace, they're filled with goodness, Here, Paul asks that the Colossians be characterized by knowing about God's will, by knowledge about what God's will is. Well, just like you might make the observation that, you know, that person, that person is filled with joy. And and what you mean is that 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 person has a joyful disposition. Like it, it marks their, who they are. Paul wants someone to be able to look at the Colossian church and say, those people know what God wants in the world. I can see it by the way that they, they love one another and live and the priorities that they have. And just with just a short application to us, um, we could ask ourselves that same question. What fills us? What am I filled with? What, what characterizes me? If someone pointed out and they tried to describe, you know, Thomas, uh, man, that, he's characterized by this. Um, would we... Uh, I think, I think so, so we, we as a church, we like to say that we're a grace church or we're a text church. And what we mean by that is we strive to be characterized by the grace of Christ in our relationships. We strive to be characterized by prioritizing, listening to the word of Christ. 
And, and I, I think by God's grace, that's, that's true of us. And, and I pray that we will, we will continue to strive to be that. But um, I, might, I might ask, would, are we a church that someone would point to this community and say, Colonial, they really get what God is doing in the world. It's obvious. I, they're characterized by it. I pray that we are. I pray that we strive to be that, that church, that community of people. What does Paul mean when he asks that they be filled with or characterized by the knowledge of his will? And when I talk to the teens, I like to define God's will as simply as possible. That's always an over, that's hard, you can't really do that. But I like to define it as simple as possible as whatever pleases him. That's, that's what God's will is, whatever pleases him. In Colossians, however, Paul is talking about something in particular that pleases him. He's referring to something that God desires to bring about in his world. And I think Colossians spells that out for us in the very next passage, in, in, in the, the section of the preeminence of Christ in 15 through 23. But if you'll look with me at verse 19, I'm going to read verse 19, and I'd ask you to listen for anything that suggests to you what God wants to bring about in the world. Okay, let me read it. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in Colossians, Paul is talking about something specific with regard to what God wants. And that is, what, what would please God is to reconcile to himself everything through the agency of his son, Jesus Christ. So all things reconciled to himself looks like those who trust in Christ, justified in him. Those who don't, judged by him. Enemies, pacified for eternity. Saints, glorified for eternity. Creation, cleansed of the curse, remade. All things brought into a fitting relationship with God via Christ. Douglas Moo, a commentator on Colossians, helpfully explains Paul's use of the phrase God's will here. This is what he says. What, what Paul has in mind is not some particular or special direction for one's personal life, as we often use the phrase God's will, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe and for the Colossians. Then Paul thinks that what the Colossians need, uh, facing, facing the false teaching that they're, they're facing, Paul thinks that what the Colossians need then in order to face that and stand up under it is a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe. That's going to fix their problem. That's the, that's the one thing that I'm going to pray that God will do. So what does Paul do? He prays that God will cause them to be characterized by this revelation of what God is doing through Christ. And in the next section of his letter, he gives to laying out perhaps the most beautiful display of what Christ, how Christ relates to the universe. But what good is knowledge about how God is working in the world through Christ if it just stays 
in our heads. The next phrase makes it clear that knowledge about God's will is not intended to stay as head knowledge. If you look at the next phrase there, in all spiritual wisdom, may you be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, or, or all spirit-given wisdom and understanding. There are several ways that interpreters take this little, this little phrase. Some treat it as a phrase that modifies the verb, you may be filled, okay? And they would say that the spiritual wisdom and understanding are then the means by which the Colossians are filled. They're filled via having spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. So as the Spirit grants them wisdom and understanding, they will come to know, they will come to be filled, come to be characterized by the knowledge of God's will. I think that's a viable interpretation. I don't think that's, that's how we should take this, this uh, phrase. Others treat the phrase as modifying the noun knowledge. May you be filled with the knowledge of his will. And I think that's getting closer. That's getting closer to where, what it means. They view the phrase as explaining the form that the knowledge takes, right? So, for example, the knowledge of God's will consists in spirit-given wisdom and understanding. So that's what knowledge of God's will is. It's actually spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Okay, again, I, I think there's a better way to take the phrase. Um, I think it's best to take the phrase as modifying the word knowledge, as that last view did. But instead of describing the content of what, knowledge, uh, what the knowledge of God's will is, or the manner by which you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, I think Paul is describing two accompanying qualities that Paul thinks is necessary for the Colossians to be able to take that knowledge of God's will and put it into practice in lives that please Jesus. So I think that taking it that way is the most, is the most natural way to understand the concepts in this passage. It strikes me as, as less likely that being given wisdom, the skill to live in light of knowledge, and understanding, grasping the significance of knowledge results in being filled with the knowledge about God's will content. It strikes me as, as less natural to see it that way. It makes better sense in my mind that being filled with knowledge about God's will, this content, knowing what pleases the Lord with regard to Christ, isn't all they would need to please the Lord. They would also need to grasp the significance of that knowledge and the wisdom to know how to connect it to their lives. So the sense would be something like this. Um, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And along with knowledge of his will, the spirit-giving understanding to grasp its significance. And the spirit-given wisdom to know how to live in light of it. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. So an implication of this request that Paul is praying for the Colossians is if we expect our knowledge about what God is doing in the world through Christ to result in a life that pleases Jesus, we are going to need something that we don't possess in our own abilities. If we're going to be able to do something with that knowledge that equals pleasing the Lord and living worthy of him, we need something that's, that's, that's greater than us and that's outside of us. We need the Spirit of God to give us the understanding to see why it matters 
how it fits and how, what does it look like to live it out? How does it connect my, to my life? Merely gaining knowledge about God's will doesn't equal a life worthy of our Lord. We need the Spirit of God to supernaturally bring that knowledge into tangible expressions of obedience in our lives. So let us pray that the Spirit will grant to us the understanding and wisdom to grasp and apply God's will in our lives. Well, when the Colossians are filled with the knowledge of God, and the Spirit gives them the wisdom and understanding necessary, it will result in a life that is worthy of their Lord. That's what verse 10 concludes. Here's the purpose of the request. Here's why Paul wants them to be filled with knowing God's will about what he's doing in the world through Christ so that they would be able to walk worthy of the Lord. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The idea of walking is, is kind of a Hebrew idiom of, of the way you live your life, conducting your life. And leading a life that is worthy is a life that is suitable or fitting to, to whom the Lord The Lord is a title that Paul connects to Jesus Christ that was in the Old Testament reserved only for Yahweh alone. But but Christians in the New Testament time had no hesitations putting it in front of Jesus from Nazareth. That would be an incredibly blasphemous and disrespectful thing to God the Father unless Jesus was who he claimed to be one with the Father himself, a member of the Godhead. The title itself, Lord, means master. The word Lord just means master. In other words, Paul's saying that Jesus Christ is his and the Colossians' master. God reveals the knowledge about what he's done through Christ for the purpose of producing obedience to Jesus in his servants, in his believers. So the purpose of being filled with the knowledge of God's will for the Colossians is that they would lead lives worthy of their master, Jesus. And in case that's not clear what he means by a life worthy of their master, Paul explains further that it's a life that's fully pleasing to him. That is, a life that longs to please Jesus with every step. A life that longs to please Jesus with every step. So Paul proceeds in the following verses then. That was the main request and the purpose of the request. Paul proceeds in the following verses to describe using four participles, okay, these four verbals, that what a life ought to look like if you really understand what God's will is. If you grasp the significance of God's will, then this, these things should mark your life. It should motivate this kind of living. So here's four marks that someone understands, someone is filled with the knowledge of God. Four marks that someone is filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verses 10 through 14. I'll list them for you and I'm gonna make some brief comments on them and then I want us to consider together some implications from, um, from the text. First, they're busy doing good works for God. See that in verse 10. They're busy doing good works for God. Also in verse 10, They're striving to know God more and more. Verse 11, they're relying on God's strength for whatever comes. And then verses 12 through 14, they're giving glad thanks to the Father for the gospel's work in their lives. These are four characteristics, marks, that characterize someone who is filled with the knowledge of God's will. So the first mark 
is that they're busy doing good works for God. In verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work or all sorts of good works. As evangelicals, we tend to recoil a little bit at the, the phrase good works. And in the context of justification, that's fair, right? We're justified by faith, through, gra- through faith, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Decidedly not by our own efforts, our own merit, okay? So good works in that sense, we get like, and that's fair, okay? But there's another important context in which good works should pervade our, our lives and, and our conversation. And that's our walk in Christ, all right? Now that, now that you're in, <laughs> good works should be the buzzword, Listen to the way New Testament authors talk about good works. Okay, just let me, I'll give you a smattering here. Matthew, he says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Okay, well, listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Later he says in, um, in a letter to Titus, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for grace. Zealous for good works. And then later in Titus, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And later the author to the Hebrew said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Right, this, is a, this is a theme in the New Testament that should characterize a believer's life. We, we, we strive after um, living a life of good works to God and others. And if the Colossians are filled with the knowledge of God's will, if they get it, then one of the things that should mark their lives is a desire to please Jesus expressed in good works toward God and others. Second mark that someone understands God's will, what he's doing in Christ in the world, with Christ in the world, is that they're striving to know God more and more. See that in verse 10. An increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God here refers to knowledge about God. This will include not, not just who God is, what his nature is, but what he's done and how he plans, plans to bring about reconciliation of all things through Christ. So if the Colossians are to increase in their knowledge about God, they need to expose themselves to his words. They need to spend time listening to, meditating on, studying God's words, where he reveals what he's doing in the world and what his priorities are. So for Paul, knowing God more and more is just, that's just part of being a disciple of Jesus. This is, this is what you do. This is, this is discipleship 101. Colonial, are we doing this well? Are we making it a priority in our individual lives and in our family's lives to get to know our God better and better? Not being satisfied with what you know in one day. The next day, Lord, will you help me know you even better than I knew you yesterday? I thought I knew you yesterday, but you are way bigger than my my comprehension. Can you teach me more about yourself? Is this the way that we lead our families where we lead our own uh, time with the Lord? God's knowledge about God is inexhaustible and he delights to make himself known to those who will diligently seek him. 
do we see the value of digging into the word for ourselves and not just taking the word of pastors and scholars or books. So the third mark that someone truly gets what God is trying to do through the world, in the world through Christ is that they are relying on God's strength to face whatever comes. Look in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Notice the passive voice of, of this participle, being strengthened, okay? It doesn't say be strong in, being strengthened. This is not a strength that originates in the Colossians. God is the source. God is the one who gives believers every kind of strength to endure and have patience in the face of all kinds of things. One commentator suggests that endurance may point to afflictions the believers are suffering as they're challenged by the false teachers. But patience is a virtue to be practiced within the community of God's people. To bear with those who maybe have a different personality than you or whose sin struggle you find it hard to show grace toward. We need God's glorious might to do that kind of living. The kind of strength a believer needs to walk worthy of the Lord is merely the most powerful being in the world's strength. The power of the weighty, awesome, omnipotent, almighty God. We're talking about God's glory scaled strength. That kind of strength. If we think we need anything less than that for our daily struggle against our flesh and Satan and sin, we have grossly underestimated the corruption of sin. We have grossly underestimated the power of sin. God knows what he's supplying, so let's believe him that we need it and rely on it. So the fourth mark um, that someone really understands what God is doing, what God wants for his world, for his universe, they're giving glad thanks to their father for the gospel's work in their lives. So verses 12 through 14. With joy, giving thanks to the Father. I take that prepositional phrase, with joy, to be modifying the participle, giving thanks. So grammatically, it could go either way. It could be modifying um, the way in which you endure and have patience. You do it with joy. And that's a biblical concept. I mean, we could look at James and it says, count all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials because God's producing character in you. But I think in, in, in this instance, Paul is, is saying that your giving thanks to the Father should be a joyful thing, not a grudging, perfunctory thing. This should be a joyful, natural thing for you to give thanks for what God has done to you. Thanksgiving is going to be a frequent theme for Paul in this letter. And we'll have much to say about it in times to come. It's going to be a theme as we go through Colossians. But for now... Um, let, let us notice the reasons that believers should be marked by joyful gratitude to the Father. All right, here's reason number one. They should give thanks for their qualification for heaven. You see in the text, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. Because God qualified you, you should be filled with joyful thanks to the Father that God saw fit to make them fit to take part with God's people in the kingdom of light. Reason number one. Reason number two, 
Look in your text, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. Their rescue from darkness. That God made them fit by rescuing them from the power of darkness or the rule of Satan and his realm. Reason number three, their placement into the son's kingdom. It says, and it transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He delivered them from the authority of darkness, placing them instead under the good benevolent reign, the good benevolent jurisdiction of Christ, his, his son. And lastly, for their forgiveness of sins. If you continue, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Through his beloved son, they are bought back from the slave market of sin and let loose from the eternal consequences of their sin. All right, let me, let me make some implications for us and then um, we can think about some ways to apply it. I hope you will take some time to think about this text in the way that the Lord would have you to respond to it. First, I'd, I'd want to see an implication from verse 9 and 10 is, th- is this. A life lived worthy of our Lord flows directly from our grasp of his will. A life that is lived worthy of the Lord flows straight from our grasp of his will. When we comprehend what God's plan for the world through Christ is, it should motivate us to live in a way that, that, that pleases our Lord. So, if that's how we live a life that pleases the Lord, if that's, if that's what's going to motivate us to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, then let's go after trying to figure out what God is doing in this world. Let's seek to understand God's will. So what are we doing to grasp the significance of his will? What are we doing to, 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 to grasp this? What are we doing um, to live in light of God's will, of what he's trying to do in the world through Christ? Are we praying that the spirit of God would grant us that wisdom and that understanding. I think that's one thing we can take away right away. Lord, will you please grant me the understanding? Will you please grant me the wisdom to live in light of it? That's a great takeaway. Are we exposing ourselves to scriptures and texts that explain from all the beautiful and various perspectives of what God is trying to accomplish in the world? Have you read your Bible through from start to finish? If you were to do that, this is just, this wasn't planned, but if you were to do that in, in a short time, say, you know, six months, eight months, something like that, I will bet your understanding of what God is trying to do in the world uh, would be changed. That, that's happened in my life where, where I had, there was a point where I had never read through the scriptures yet. And um, I was challenged to do it, and so, and so I did, and it was in a short order. And being able to see from Genesis to what God's intent was in the garden to Revelation left me with seeing the cohesion that I never saw was there from, from the, the law to the writings to the prophets and how those all fit together to now the New Testament writings and the apostles' writings. All right, so a second implication for us from the text is that Paul's lack of personal relationship with the Colossians did not keep him from praying for them regularly and often. So colonial, it should not keep us from praying 
for people that we don't have personal relationships with either. Um, when we get a prayer request from the, the secretaries, and we get it in our email, and maybe there's a name that we don't know. Uh, we haven't met the person yet. Or there's a circumstance that we're unfamiliar with. Do we, do we persist to pray for them anyway? Or maybe we think, maybe we think you know, there's some other people in this church who, who know them. I'll leave it to them. To, to, I want to pray with meaning. And, and like really, I want to understand a situation before I, I give myself uh, to pray for it. I hope, I hope we don't do that. <laughs> I hope we don't do that. Um, in our prayers for those we love, our friends, do we pray for their relationships with others? Not just our friends, but what about, what about the ways that they're investing in, in other relationships? Is that a concern to us? That they would be helping not only understand God's will for themselves, but that, that would be a priority to help others understand what God is doing in the world. What about when you pray for your friends? Um, do you ever pray for their kids? Um, even if you don't know their names, do you pray for their kids? Lord, help them as they disciple their kids that they would know and come to grasp God's will and what he's trying to do in the world. We pray for those names and those ministries in our missionary letters. Do you see these people who you've never met, perhaps, as when you pray for them, that is a worthy way to honor my Lord Jesus. To pray, for, I, I don't care if I've never met them. Um, the person that I love and trust who's ministering to them thinks it's important. That's enough for me. That was enough for Paul. Epaphras came and said, hey, can you pray? Can you help us? Can you help? And so he prays for Epaphras' disciples. Well, Paul believed that the best way he could pray for the Colossians in their circumstance was to ask God to fill them with his will. We would be wise to imitate his practice of praying that God would fill others with a clear grasp of his will so that they would be enabled then to live a life worthy of Jesus, a life that would honor Jesus whatever comes, whether it's false teaching or not, or, or loss of a loved one, or illness, or loss of a job, or whatever. So Paul just goes for the big guns right away. Like, listen, I'm not even going to ask the Lord to remove the false teachers. You need something bigger. I want you to be able to grasp what God is doing so you can respond to them rightly. All right, let's close in prayer together. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage, and I pray that your spirit would apply it beyond this hour. You'd, you'd apply it skillfully as you do and as you delight to do. Lord, we love, we love Christ, but we don't know him as we ought. We love you, our Father, but we certainly do not know you as we ought. Um, we pray that, Lord, we would, we would grow in our knowledge of you, yes, in our obedience to you. Um, we pray, Lord, that, that, that the more we know, the greater and sweeter our worship would be. Do not let us be guilty of having head knowledge that stops and doesn't reach others and doesn't pray for others and doesn't show concern for God's glory in their lives. Help us to be challenged by Paul's example today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.